Are you stuck in your office spinning your wheels? Is it time for you to get away from your business so you can focus on the business? Maybe a retreat? I'm Katie Horner of the For Your Success podcast, and though my husband and I started out in full-time ministry, living well below the poverty line, our six-figure business now gives us ministry opportunities that far outweigh the ones we had in full-time ministry. Join me and my husband, Tap, on April 30th at the Get Out of the Boat Christian Business Virtual Retreat to recharge your batteries and let us show you how fun it can be to walk out your faith in your business with joy and confidence, because doing the business that God created you to do can be your best worship. The Get Out of the Boat Christian Business Retreat is April 30th from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m., and you can attend from anywhere online. We can't wait to see you there. You can get all the info and register for your ticket right now at getoutoftheboat.com. Hey, come take a walk with me, not like you used to do, do something different and put yourself in other people's shoes. Open up your mind and open up your eyes and change your direction, change your perspective. Welcome into Other People's Shoes. Of course, I am your host, and I know that just cost me some money for my wife, so uh, checks in the mail, babe. But uh, help me welcome in our guest today, hailing from the Tar Heel State. I, I don't know how we keep finding these guests from North Carolina, but it's always fun for me to talk about North Carolina. You guys know this. You are familiar with that. If you're not familiar with that, you need to go catch up on some other shows at OPSpodcast.com. Follow me on Instagram, of course, Facebook, all those fun places. OPSpodcast.com is, of course, a fun place to go visit. But help me welcome him in today. He is an NFL superstar, right? I mean, that's, that's what they all are, right? When they they play in the NFL. They're all superstars. Help me welcome him in. He's an author. He's a motivational speaker. We're going to get deep diving into his story today because let me tell you, I know about it and I'm still blown away by it. And I think you will be as well. So hang around because help me welcome in my guest, Marcus Ogden. Marcus, how are you today? How you doing, Neil? Thanks for having me on, my friend. Absolutely. So first off, I, I got to just get this just out of the way because I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by your story and I, I can't wait for us to, to spend some time talking about that. But I got to get this question out of the way first. I know you've been on a number of shows. You got a new book coming out. And so you, you're doing the book tour, which I love. Uh, but I bet you nobody's asked you this question. And that's this. Marcus, what size shoes do you wear? I'm a size 15. <laughs> you're a size you're 15. Right. Nobody's asked you that, right? Has asked me that question ever. I'm a size 15. All right. Now, is there a certain brand? Because I, I know, you know, NFL guys, they got their brands. They got their they got their look that they got to go for. Is there a brand or a style that we like more than another? You know what? I'm really starting to like now Cole Hans. Now, I know they're going out of business, unfortunately, but my wife bought me this nice pair of all-white loafer uh, sneaker-type Cole Hans shoes. I'm actually, I actually have them on right now. I have a meeting today for a big uh, opportunity for some business. And uh, they're nice shoes, very comfortable, all white. Uh, it's really, really nice to have that. So, yeah, Cole Hans are uh, something, one of my favorites. Well, that's great. We'll give them some business. But as you said, they're, they're probably on their way out. So, you know, maybe after this, who knows? Maybe they'll send me a pair. Well, you already have a pair. But those are, those are kind of some high-end shoes too, right? They are. They are. Uh, the ones I have on were normally at 150 but my wife got them because they're going out of business gone for 40 bucks. <laughs> wow. That's what I like to call a shoe bargain. Nice job there. So getting into your story, it, well, first off, before we get to your story, I love North Carolina. Everyone knows this that knows me. 
But if I were to come out, spend a day with you in Raleigh, you know, kind of in that Curry Raleigh area, the triangle as some, uh, as it's famously called, what would we go and do together? We, well, I'm a gym person. So I like going to the gym in the morning. Uh, they have a lot of great museums around here. They have an art museum. They have different car shows, different clubs. Uh, I'm also a big fan of seafood. There's a nice seafood restaurant here called Squids. It was actually, it's really on the campus of UNC. So it's probably about a mile to a mile and a half away from the main campus. And we found out about that because my wife's grandfather, that was his favorite restaurant. And we would go there uh, with him. And uh, actually now my wife and I enjoy going because it's our favorite restaurant. That's so awesome. So seafood, I'm guessing, is on the main dish by the name of it. I'm just guessing. That is, that is correct. All right. So everything crab legs and scallop and it's fresh and it's very well priced it's not overpriced like some restaurants you go to that's why i like it's kind of like one of those hidden gems like i said it's not that far from chapel hill so you would love it i mean so you could walk there from unc's main campus well that's the problem i would never leave the campus so there's there's that i i've never been to the campus <laughs> so if anyone wants to help sponsor my trip to chapel hill let me know comment down below uh so let's <clears throat> let's get into your story because to me it is so fascinating because I'm I'm blown away by this. First off, as we kind of said at the onset of your introduction, hopefully it was a rock star welcome to you. It was. It was awesome. Good. Okay. We work hard on that. So here's my question. As an NFL player, right, you were an offensive lineman, if I'm, if I'm getting my information right, correct? You're correct. Okay. So as an offensive lineman, for those who aren't football fans, which – I am one. I'm a huge Seahawks fan. So sorry, you never played for my beloved Seahawks. I would have cheered hard for you, though, had you been one. But that's okay. But as an offensive lineman, what is your job description? The job description for us is to open up holes for the running back, keep defensive linemen, linebackers, or safeties, defenders off the quarterback, and maintain the line of scrimmage. We need to push the defensive linemen if we're running the football on the other side, on their side of the, of the line of scrimmage. And then pass protection, we need to keep them in front of us and not let them get around us or by us to get to the quarterback to hit, to cause a sack, pressure, hit, fumble, or a hurry. Gotcha. So how does someone in, in your mind uh, as an offensive lineman, how would you define yourself as successful? Were you successful as a lineman in, in doing those oh, things yeah. that you just alluded to? Absolutely, I was. You wouldn't be if you're not successful in doing that as an offensive lineman. You wouldn't have a job for long, because the NFL is full of the best of the best people and players that want to get into other players' shoes. Honest, like the name of your show. There's always someone trying to get into your shoes in football, especially the NFL. So you need to be the best of the best. No doubts, no thoughts, no process, no, no, no negotiations. And if you're not the best, someone will fill your shoes without a doubt. Yeah. I really love that aspect of it. And, and let me tell you, for those that don't follow football, which I'm trying to figure out why you don't, cause it's an amazing sport. But I, I actually have a, a friend of mine who was on uh, a recent show a couple months back. His name's Terrell, and uh, he has a crazy story, so people can go check that out. But uh, but Terrell was an offensive lineman in college, and he's like, listen, it's the unsung. It's like the guy that doesn't get any praise. It doesn't. You, it's the it's the thankless job. You're the servant to the team, essentially. You're serving the team as a as a servant, like. 
you don't get headlines. You don't get your name in the paper. If anything, you're the guy that they blame when everything all falls apart. You're the reason why our million-dollar-plus quarterback is hurt because you missed the block. You missed an assignment, right? Got it. That's right. So when things happen and the quarterback throws a touchdown, people normally don't even think about offensive linemen, how hard they had to work to get that job done. But if a player gets up a sack or a hurry, damn offensive linemen, learn how to pass block, move your feet. Don't be lazy. Don't bend your back. Don't lunge. Don't, you know, don't punch that early. Don't punch that late. Like it's just a free for all of things you've done wrong. If you give up a sack or hurry, which again, the guys on the other side of the line make a, make a paycheck too. So they're all good at what they do and you don't want to get beat ever. But if you do, it's about learning from your mistakes. So you don't get beat again with the same move over and over again. And so that's this is building on something. I promise. <laughs> My non-sports fans are like, "Where are you going, Neil? Let's get let's get to where we're going. Come on!" But hang with me just for one more second. You you have a famous last name for those that are a Baltimore Ravens uh, fan and affiliation. Ogden, right? Jonathan Ogden is your brother, correct? That's correct. Now is, now help me because I didn't do my research on this one. But is he your older brother? I'm I'm guessing if if I'm right on that, I think he, I am. I, I'm 40. He will be 47 in July. Ooh, you're calling him out. I don't know how I feel about that. I'm just messing. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so here's my question, and and this hopefully will build back into what we were just talking about. How hard was it living in his shadow, or did you ever feel like you were living in his shadow? I didn't feel like it until I got to the NFL. Okay. And, when and, I got to the NFL, yeah, talk about I that. Yeah, so when I got to the NFL, I realized, Neil, that a lot of people were going to compare me to my brother and players that he played against and whooped their ass. I was going to have to play against him as well and go through that whole thing about, oh, your job is brother. So they try to go a little harder on me. Now, when I was in high school and college, not so much because he was seven years older than I am, six and a half to seven years older. But in the NFL, it was living in a shadow. Then again, but I always said, you know what? There's worse people's shadows to be in. So let's just take that and say, you know what? It's better to be in his shadow than somebody else's. <laughs> no, I, I agree with that. And the reason why I ask is I, too, am a younger brother. My brother is not seven years older than I am. He's two years older than I am. But I remember being, and this is really lame, so forgive my lameness, but I was in band with my brother, okay? Band jokes aside, whatever. I was a freshman, and my brother was the drum major of the band. Now, those that don't know band dynamic, let me help you for a second. The drum major is the dude in charge of the whole band on the field. It's kind of the quarterback of the band, right? And so I was always constantly in my brother's shadow. Like, my brother could play any musical instrument on the planet, like, proficiently. And then I come along, and I can barely play the trumpet and barely march at the same time, which, by the way, is a talented skill, just saying. So that's why I was asking that question, because I'm wondering if so many people in the NFL or personnel or whoever is involved right, in the decision-making process was like, oh, we got to get this guy. You know, he's Ogden's, he's Ogden's little brother. Like, he's going to be just like Hall of Famer Jonathan Ogden. We're going to get a replica of him. And so I wonder, did that at all have any other pressure on you? Great question. No, because 
I got one scholarship offer to play football at Howard, which was absolutely amazing. I had a great five years at Howard. I redshirted my first year. I was a four-year starter at tackle, right and left tackle throughout my career at Howard. I'm the first and only offensive lineman ever drafted from Howard. And I had to go through a lot to get there. I went to the Hula Bowl, played against guys from all over the, all across the country, Texas, Rice, Miami, Alabama, you know, you name it. And, and back in those days, Miami, Texas, um, you know, Stanford, UCLA, like the SEC was not as big as it is today. It was more um, ACC and Pac-10 uh, Pac at the time were the big leagues in my time and also Big 12, uh, Texas, Oklahoma, and all that kind of good stuff. And interestingly enough, you know, when I got to the NFL, it wasn't about, well, comparing me to Jonathan. It was like, okay, well, Marcus, now that you're here, we don't keep roster spots for brothers of great football players. We, we don't do that. Like, that's just not in our cards. So we keep roster spots for people that deserve to be on the field. And that's what I had to learn. And I always looked at it like that. And I always saw myself as that. And because of that, right. Uh, and because of that, right, Neil, that's why I worked as hard as I did to have the job that I did in the national football league. Yeah. Because really you can't, I, I mean, I've heard it said, I, I don't know. I've never obviously played in the NFL, you know, I, that would be awesome, but I think I would get killed because I'm, I'm, I'm not a, I'm a, I'm a tiny guy, right? <laughs> the world my friend <laughs> I, I i imagine it is but i imagine with that comes fame in, in some respects even though you're a lineman even though you you know your name's not in the paper every week per se um but there comes fame there comes money there comes i i would imagine women because you know i mean not being stereotypical but sometimes women are some women are flocked to money they've they're flocked to nfl uh some women are Right. And so I'm thinking like when you go on the road, you know, maybe there's women at the hotel and it's, you know, it's easy to get distracted by uh, Kevin Durant has said recently the noise that comes with the game. Right. And so mm -hmm. I say all that because I'm wondering with your story and I think it, it plays well into that. Like your job, as you alluded to, was to protect was to was to stop defenders from coming into your your world, basically. And yet mm -hmm. I know your story uh, you know it better than I do, obviously, but I think there's elements of your story that for whatever reason, elements were able to push by you and knock you down. And you, you kind of maybe got yelled at a little bit for missing those assignments, but you found a way to do what? Get back up. I mean, that's what it is. In life, Neil, you are going to get knocked down. I don't care if you're a high school head cheerleader, if you're the star quarterback, if you are uh, a Marine veteran, if you're in the Marines, I don't care if you play football, professional basketball, you work a job trying to build a podcast, or you're just somebody that works in corporate America sitting behind a desk. All of us struggle. The question is, when life hands you a curveball, do you hit a home run? Or do you keep swinging blindly, striking out and not looking at how to adjust and observe to get better? I made a lot of mistakes after my career in the NFL, uh, in my construction business, and it cost me dearly. My home foreclosed on. Both cars repossessed in the same day. Lost everything. And as a result of that, I had to realign myself. I had to pivot. I had to readjust my strategies. And it took me many years, many years to get where I am as a speaker, a coach, an author, a consultant. But 
I wouldn't change anything for the world because without that process, then I wouldn't be here where I'm at today as a speaker, coach, trainer, and a consultant and an author. So it takes ambition, right? It takes drive and it takes hard work. But the thing that I, that I want to maybe kind of push on a little bit, if we can with those is it's easy to say, right? Anyone could say, well, I have an ambition. I have a dream, you know? Um, and, and I don't say that flippantly cause I know we're, you know, that there are those that love Martin Luther King and rightly so he is one to be admired and appreciated. But my question is, it's, it's easy to say I have ambition. It's easy to say, Hey, I even have some drive. Like I know I need to do it, but I think the key element to your, your pillars, as you call them, and these are your three pillars is not everyone wants to work hard. Why is that for you? Because, because hard work is that it's time consuming. It's getting your elbows and your hands and your wrists dirty. It's, it's putting yourself in a position of potentially failing. It's opening yourself up to people potentially rejecting you because you may not be what they call the best of what you want to do at that time. And it's a lot of starting at the bottom. I had to literally Neil start at the bottom in my construction company, build an eight figure business, became egotistical, became arrogant, lost it all. I had to start at the bottom when I started my speaking career in 2013, September, after my pivotal moment. No one handed me anything. Two and a half years, Neil, not one paid job, not one. And I didn't throw the towel in, I didn't quit, and I didn't cry. I just was very frustrated at myself but I got my first paid job for Miller Mock College in Wilmington, North Carolina at their graduation speech. And as a result of that, I was able to turn our life and business around. And in the last five years, I've worked for 19 Fortune 500 companies. And I have a phenomenal team around me. Thank goodness. It's taken time to build them. And now I'm in a position where I can pay them for their time and their worth and their value. And it's great. It's still a lot of work. And it doesn't just end because you have success because that's how I lost my first business. I had success, right, Neil? And instead of putting myself in other people's shoes and seeing how they felt and what they needed, I only cared about my shoes, what I needed, money, what I wanted, to travel, to do what I want to do. And I lost sight of other people's shoes and their feelings. And eventually it caught up with me. Today, that will never happen again. My team is always number one. When I get paid for a job, if I owe somebody on my team a bonus, they always get their check in the mail the same day I get my check. The team can share ideas with me and not to worry about me getting upset or saying, what are you thinking? It's an open dialogue always. So hard work is really about balancing your ability as a leader and being a great listener and at the same time delivering upon the strategy and executing the game plan you lay out. If you can do that as a leader, that's what hard work is all about. You've mentioned in, in previous interviews, you know, you, you got an opportunity to be around Jack Del Rio, which you know I did. It, it is a phenomenal NFL name for those that don't know. Jeff Fisher, you know, took the Titans to the Super Bowl. 
you know, Brian Billick, you know, great offensive minded kind of guy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. And, and you even have, have dropped the name Bill Belichick. So now people have immediately turned this podcast off because they don't necessarily like Bill Belichick, which I don't know why. That's all right, dude. The, the dude's amazing. Like he's, hello, he's, he's just brilliant. Anyway, I say all that because, it, you know, those guys, I'm sure instilled in you some work ethic. They still, they instilled in you what it is like to be a winning and, and put in a winning culture, not only in your life, in personal life, but I would imagine that transferred over into business as well. But those are all great role models and great mentors and leaders, right? But I guess the flip side of that is even if we have all of these great mentors and leaders and, and guys pouring into us and or, or gals even pouring into us, if, if we're a female or whatever, you know, whoever they may be, we still can make boneheaded decisions. Now, now, how do we fix that? How did you fix that? Where you still you still make mistakes. Like, I'm, I know you're still human. You're not superhuman. Some would say because you played in the NFL, you might be superhuman. But you know what I mean? Like, Somehow. how can we still make those boneheaded decisions, even though we have people in our life that are mentoring us and pouring into us? Because sometimes we just don't really think about how doing things can turn out. Or we think always the best and hope for the best and sometimes the worst happens. Bonehead things happen when you get advice from people and feel that you can change the, I don't want to say the culture, you can change the ambiance or you can change the overall outcome. And sometimes human nature is to just push and hit your head against the hardest wall, seeing if the wall will break or your head will break uh, figuratively. And again, that's happened to me in business where I've had to learn some things and I've had, I've worked with people that were the wrong fit and I've wasted money and I've invested in the wrong things. And I've really, you know, did things that didn't work out the way I thought they would. And what I've learned is, is the, all I can do is try to get the best information I can from my team, from my coach, from my mentors, and then from there, make an informed decision and then talk to my wife and then try to make sure we're on the same page and push forward. Nobody is perfect. You're going to make mistakes, but it's all about, hey, if you make a mistake, how do you learn from it? How do you adjust and how do you move forward? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that is the key. And so I'm, I'm, I'm wondering about this too. You, you've obviously learned some lessons through life. I mean, we all have. Is there maybe a single greatest lesson you have learned so far, maybe uh, through, through your career and, and even through life? Without a doubt. Jack Del Rio told me in our entire rookie draft class and rookie class for that matter, be your own CEO. Be your own chief executive officer. Every one of us, or talking to you, who said every one of you, which meant all of us players, are your own brand. Yes, you work for the Jaguars, without a doubt. We give you a check. But off the field, off away from the facility, you are your own brand. You represent us, but you represent yourself first. So don't do anything to diminish the value of your brand because your brand is how you make money through us, through corporate and sports, potential endorsements, potential speaking engagements, potential doing interviews, you know, whatever the case may be, right? You are the way that you make money. So if you diminish the value of your brand, 
then you are putting yourself in a position of not achieving a high level of success because you want to go out and screw up. You want to go out and go get drunk or drive, you know, and get a DUI. You want to go out and get into a bar fight. You want to go out and, you know, date this girl and that girl. And then, you know, they become a womanizer. And next thing you know, you have, you could potentially have, you know, many different kids running around. And then from there, you get distracted on football. And, you know, he just talked, you know, and you know, talking to the media disrespectfully or not making your media appointments because you just want to be Mr. I'm all about myself. I had a bad game. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to talk to anybody. Well, that's not the way this works. I mean, you're a brand. So Jack telling us that when I was a 22-year-old rookie, I talked about that a lot in my speeches. Never going to forget it. Always be your own CEO. Plain and simple. So uh, who was the better team to play for, Jacksonville or Baltimore? Baltimore was better because we had some amazing teammates to play with. Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, my brother, Jamal Lewis, Todd Heap. You know, we just had some Terrell Suggs. We just had some extraordinary football players who played at the highest level that really pushed me to be my best. And I've never seen a team have such a strong culture. And they were really good at putting themselves in other people's shoes, Neil. That's why we were able to get things done. And it really helped us to see at the end of the road, that's all about how you work together as a team to achieve the objective of winning. That's awesome. So which stadium was your was your favorite of the three? Because I know you played at Buffalo too for a while, right? Did, did I get that yeah, right also? And with Tennessee. So my favorite stadium was also Baltimore because the fans just lived and breathed football in, in Baltimore. You know, they just did. Cause they won a Super Bowl a couple years prior. Uh, you know, Baltimore didn't, didn't have, they had the Orioles who I love, but they didn't have a basketball team, uh, you know, and it was close to D.C. So you can get people coming from that side. The Redskin rivalry a little bit, you know, the I-95 rivalry. So by far, Baltimore had the really good stand and, and, and fans in the stadium uh, during my career. That's good stuff. Do you know the seating capacity by chance without Googling it? Do you know the seating capacity yeah, of the uh, stadium? Uh, 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 Ravens is probably about close to 85,000, between 85 to 90,000. Okay. Because I Googled it because I didn't know. So uh, M&T Bank, whoever that is, uh, stadium, according to Google, has a seating capacity of 71,008 people. Okay. So there you go, okay. which is fine. So the reason why I asked that question is imagine just for a second – Sold out crowd. They're not there to see the Ravens. They're coming to see you. I hand you this microphone that I'm talking into right now. Your 50 yard line. And and the crowd is there. They're diverse people, you know, all walks of life, young, old, you know, middle age, whatever they may be. What on earth would you tell them? Hmm. I would tell them this. You have to believe it before you see it. Everything in life that you, you know, that you want to get, that you want to see, that job, that income, that home, that you want to see it and you want to actually make it reality, you have to believe it first. If you don't believe in yourself and your vision and where you're going in life, it's never going to work. Because the minute you start doubting yourself is the minute you start putting yourself into that negative mindset. And once your mindset gets negative, Neil, it takes so long to get out. That's what happened to me when I lost my business. I moved here to Raleigh between April 
and September, I was in a negative, well, between February and September, I was in a negative mindset. Didn't sleep much, didn't eat much, or if I did eat, it was always unhealthy. I had no form of, you know, real type of good habits of drinking water. I was always beer or just whatever cheap alcohol I could get. I had no, didn't get much rest. My body and my mind was just tired. And eventually after getting that custodian job and feeling out what I wanted to do, then my body got tired again. I go through a lot of hard work, a lot of different things to get to this point. Today, I eat much better. I try to rest better. I try to take care of myself better because, you know, it's, I'm doing better in business, but I have had to work hard to get here. But I believed in myself and the vision. Did I pivot and change strategy many times? Yep. Sure did, but I never stopped believing in myself because again, Neil, the minute you allow that mindset to get negative, that's exactly when it's, it takes so long, if ever, to reverse that mindset, get yourself going back on a positive keel. Yeah, you mentioned that janitorial job. You, you tell a story which is so heartbreaking to me that you have to take this job and it's like eight something an hour, like eight, eight. 825. That's what I was going to say. I thought it was 826. For some reason, I had that in my mind, but 825 and you're taking out the trash bag rips open. You got spilled sour milk all over. You got nasty garbage all over you and you sit down beside this trash can and you just have your head in your hands. I'm guessing you're, you're weeping, you're emotional crying. Okay. And, and, and I'm, I'm, and that's why I want to go back to that just for a second with your statement. This is you have to believe it before you see it. In that moment, uh, again, take me back to that day. You're you're on that curb, you're crying, you're sad. Are you really believing that you can be something bigger than you are? And and how does someone? How did you at that moment say enough's enough? I'm done. Great question. So at that moment of crying, no, of course not. It's believed it was all just emotion, raw tears, pain. Once I stopped crying. I said, I've got to change. Came home, sat at my little flimsy table that I had and wrote down my three biggest strengths. I was good at, with telling stories, good at communication. I was good with interacting with people. I computed in myself that I want to be a speaker because I heard some Tony Robbins, different podcasts and all that type of stuff. That's what I wanted to do. And that's where I came home. That's why I told my wife I'm going to do that. I said, that's fine. You're going to keep working your, your day jobs to pay bills. And that's what I did. And I started the career in September 2013. But I tell people all the time, you, in order to believe something, you have to build on what strengths you have. And my biggest strengths, again, were communication skills, giving, telling stories, and interacting with people. And I started and my speaking career, those two and a half years, they were all free jobs. I was pretty much, I won't say I was horrible, but I was very much of a neophyte. I didn't know a lot. I didn't know how to talk to people. I didn't know how to adjust things. It was just very, very, very basic. And the result of that, I ended up just getting into a really bad place because I just wasn't progressing. I got my first paid opportunity and I always I did some more development, did some more learning. I put myself in other people's shoes. What were other speakers doing? What were they working on? And then eventually I started to get more paid jobs, more paid jobs. And then again, that's where we are today. But it wasn't like a, we're just going to, here we are, bam. It was a very, very 
long process to get to that point. You remember the first time you gave up a sack that it was your fault? Oh yeah, absolutely. I got, uh, I gave up, I didn't give up one until college my freshman year. Uh, when I was playing against a guy who was a uh, D1 prospect transferred down to Mississippi State, and I got beat for three sacks in my first game as a as a as a freshman offensive tackle as a redshirt freshman, and I'll never forget how hard it was, how hot it was, and I thought that man, I'm done, I can't do this. And then I remember my coach saying, "Marcus, look, it's never going to get any worse than this. Like you're 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 18 years old playing against a 22 year old, you know, fifth year guy." He's a, he was a stud in college. He came down here, tried to get some more films to go to the league. And you're going to take this experience. We're going to watch film. We're going to break it down. And we're going to learn how to progress. And that's what I did. And it's, it's continued to get better and better. And that's kind of how it – that's what it was. You remember the first time you got beat in the NFL? Oh, yeah. I got beat for uh, – I got beat by, for a sack by Jason Taylor. Taylor, yeah, Miami Dolphins. I got beat by a sack by him. And I remember talking to my brother about it. I said, Jonathan, what should I do to Marcus? Look, when he long arms you, you got to take your inside hand, chop it off, keep your, and then pull your outside shoulder back. You can keep that free to keep riding around the pocket. And, you know, that's what my brother was for, to give me great advice, to help me in, in times of needing help. And uh, But, again, yeah, I got beat by a first sack by, by – I got beat – for a sack by him, and that was my first time in the NFL. So the reason why I say that is because I think in life, right, we're gonna get beat. Mm-hmm. We're gonna miss our assignment. We're gonna we're gonna maybe we even though we prepared. I'm guessing that Miami game, you probably watched a ton of film. You probably knew what he was gonna do. But yeah, I mean, Jason Taylor's still a great athlete. I mean, uh, I don't know what. I mean, he he always seemed to me more like a linebacker, you know, than than a DN. But anyway. Um, but my point is, is that we're, we're going to get beat. We're going to give up. We're going to have moments where we just blow it. But what you did is you could have allowed that sack with Jason Taylor to define your career. You could have been like, I'm done. Like, I, I'm, I'm done. Even the guy in college that beat you for three times, you know, you could have been like, I'm done. You know, I still feel bad for the guy back in the day. I don't know if you remember this or not, but Derek Thomas oh, yeah. played for the Chiefs. Yep. Yep. against Seattle. I think he had like seven he sacks in Heck. one game against Andy, Dave Gray. Yep. Andy I, Heck is who he beat. Andy Heck? We need to find Andy uh, and find out how and, he's and, doing because I wonder and, if he goes Andy back was, and Andy, looks at that Andy tape. was my coach for the Jaguars for a little while. That's hilarious. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. See, full story. But I remember that as a kid. Like, I was so mad at, at the guys blocking because I'm like, you have one job. It's to protect our quarterback. And and I'm wondering about that with you. Is you really have one job right now that you've really flipped the script, and your job now is to try to educate and protect people so they don't go down the roads that you've gone down. And to me, that makes you an inspiration. That makes you somebody to really go and listen to. So how can people go and do that right now if they're interested in knowing more about you and learning more about you? They can go to our website, www.marcusmarquesogden.com, or they can shoot me an email, marcus at marcusogden.com, and just connect with us, man. We're on LinkedIn, Marcus Ogden. We're on Facebook, Marcus Ogden. We're on Twitter, at Marcus underscore Ogden, and we're on Instagram, at Marcus Ogden. Connect with us, hit us up, and let's chat and let's talk. Absolutely, because I don't think anyone wants to walk around feeling defeated anymore. I mean, nobody wants that, right? No, I agree. And, and, and I tell my clients, you hire me so you don't end up like me. 
That's a great line. So we're going to play a game real quick before we let Marcus get out of here. So uh, Mark, Marcus, you are aware we have five senses, right? That is correct. You, you know that? Yep, correct. I All am. Right. Just checking. So we have this amazing cup here. I don't know if you can see that okay for you. We play this game at the, at the end of our show called Senseless. And so I'm going to roll it because Marcus is not here as I roll it off the table. That still counts. So uh, Marcus, I don't know if you can see that too, but look, look at the color of the five. Bye. Isn't that fun? What was your jersey number, mm -hmm. by the way? We never talked about that. Se 71 was my jersey number. Is there a reason for that? Nah, I just always like 71. I got it. I had it in high school, and it stuck, and it stuck with me. <laughs> nice. Okay. So going back to our first original question when you took us around Raleigh, I feel like this could come into play. So here we go. Uh, what is your favorite thing to taste? Seafood. That's kind of what I thought. Yeah. I would almost I would almost push on that just a little bit. Not again, I don't know your taste palette, but I think you also like success. I think you I also want people to be successful and not be stuck where they are anymore, right? I agree with that hundred percent. Right. Okay. Marcus, I'll just give you one final thought. Whatever you want to say, this is your moment. Again, Baltimore Stadium, maybe you got that mic in your hand. Tell us what you would tell us, and then uh, I'll wrap up. Same thing, I'll say it again. I'll, I'll leave it with another part. In life, you're going to have ups and downs. You're not judged by the victories you have. You're judged how you get back up from the losses or the defeats that you faced. Don't worry about losing or winning. If you make a mistake, there's just winning and there's learning. There's never a losing. You can always learn. You can always grow. You can always get better. Absolutely. Could not said that better myself. Uh, Marcus, thanks so much for coming on today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. Pre thanks, Neil. You too. Uh, guys, just remember this. I'm so fascinated by this. What is your ambition in life? Like, what do you really want to do? And how on earth are you going to go and do those things that you aspire to be? Do you believe in it yourself? Because that's really step one. And today, I hope you realize that, that after today, that we really look at ourselves and really ask ourselves this question, what am I believing in and how am I going to go out and do what I want to do? Uh, I want to thank my guest one more time. Marcus, thanks so much for coming in and stopping by. And guys, just remember this before we close. Remember, when you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. Join me right back here next Wednesday as we walk in other people's shoes. Thank you so much for joining us on Other People's Shoes. As you know, I am your host, Neil Matthews. Want to thank Marcus Ogden one more time. Hopefully you got something out of today. In fact, if you didn't get something out of today, I'm going to be utterly shocked because I believe Marcus gave us some real nuggets and some real practical steps to help us in our future life of what we want to be, what we want to do, and allowing that moment to not define us, but really step out of that. And that's why we called the episode Fourth Down. By the way, if you're not a sports fan, what that means is that's the last down in football. Don't let this moment be the last down for you. Figure out how to get that first down. First down being you get a new set of downs, you get a reset, you get to keep going down the field. And again, I believe Marcus did a great job doing that. Speaking of doing a great job, pack your bags, Make sure you got your, your Hawaiian shirt, Magnum PI shirt standing by. The flower lay will be placed upon you upon arrival 
In fact, here's a little sneak peek of next week's episode. I connected with those ladies in like the first five minutes we were walking away. Instead of what maybe like law enforcement would say I should have did was like, look at my surroundings, you know, figure out who you can call on because that all could have got me killed. You know, trying to find a place to run right there, trying to tell somebody what I'm supposed to be, you know, doing or please help me would not have worked. I became their sisters. I became an ally for them to trust. I learned quickly that I have to have them like me in order to survive. That is right. We're going out to the 50th state in the union. That being Hawaii. That's right. It's going to slow down a little bit next week. It is. It's just going to happen. It's going to slow down. It's going to happen. But next week's guest, let me tell you, you are not going to want to miss. We're going to be lost in paradise, but we're not going to be lost for very long because our next guest next week is going to help us get unlost and find our way back because there are so many souls, and I'm not talking shoe souls, I'm talking people souls, and really need to be ministered to and really need to be helped. And our next guest is going to tell us how she's doing that. So stay tuned for that. That, of course, will take place on Wednesday. OPSpodcast.com is the place to go. Past, present, future episodes, of course, are there. The store is there. The voicemail ability is there. OPS Podcast Show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And, of course, we are hanging out at Clubhouse every now and then. So find us there as well if you're interested in that. And, of course, remember this. Remember when you walk in other people's shoes. You really do. Get a different perspective on life. Thank you again, Marcus Ogden. Stay tuned till next week when we walk in other people's shoes.